this is the So You Talk to Cows podcast, a podcast for anyone who has ever been asked if they talk to cows, corn, or any other commodity. I'm Erica Earlbeck, a lifelong agricultural communicator. On each show, I interview someone who has made it their life's work to communicate to and advocate for our nation's farmers and ranchers. We learn new ways to communicate, classic techniques that always work, and we try to predict that next big thing for our industry. In this podcast, we don't dwell so much on talking to cows, it's talking about the pork belly market. And you'll see why a little bit later in this episode. My guest is the executive director of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting and a former farm broadcaster, Tom Brand. Tom, thank you so much for joining us today. For those who don't know, explain to us what farm broadcasting is. You know, farm broadcasting goes back to the early days of, of radio broadcasting itself, whenever there were extension agents, and, and then after a few years of, of radio being in existence, actual farm broadcasters who were sharing market news and information and weather uh, details. Also, uh, um, at the time, I think, you know, when you think about radio in the 1920s, the 1930s, they were doing quite a bit of teaching on the air of farming practices, too. Farm broadcasting has evolved from uh, from just being radio 100 years ago to what we are today. We have farm broadcasters that are on AM and FM and on satellite radio, also on television, on cable systems, on satellite TV, and we even have uh, members that are just doing broadcasting online. So really, it's it's the human voice and sometimes the face that's associated with farm broadcasting spreading information to farmers and ranchers across the country today. So what is then the National Association of Farm Broadcasting? Yeah, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting dates back to 1944, when a group of these radio farm directors, as they were called, decided they needed a professional organization to get some professional improvement to really uh, help spread the message of the importance of farm broadcasting um, on, on radio stations to uh, managers as well as to, to sales contacts. It started as the National Association of Radio Farm Directors. As television came into play, it was the National Association of Television and Radio Farm Directors. The name evolved to the National Association of Farm Broadcasters in the 1960s. And then in the early part of the 2000s, we changed the name again to the National Association of Farm Broadcasting to talk about the industry itself and not the individual broadcaster. And you yourself, you you are a former farm broadcaster, and maybe you still do some farm broadcasting. But uh, so tell us about uh, your career and the trajectory that it has taken. So my first introduction to, to farm broadcast came as a kid growing up on the farm, listening to market reports and weather. And I've told the story in the past that there is only one thing that was said whenever we're sitting at that kitchen table. It was listen. And I was so glad that my dad used the word listen, because I've had other people tell me that their parents said, shut up. Um, and in the case of, of giving that direction of listen, that's what I did. And so it gave me a very early appreciation of farm broadcasting, listening to the information, how important it was to our farming operation, whether it was the weather forecast for the remainder of the week or what the markets were doing, or uh, maybe the latest policy news out of Washington, D.C., listening made me attuned to that. I went to the University of Missouri and uh, started off as an ag engineer, felt like that was not the fit for me after a year of college classes. I enjoyed public speaking. I came across an advisor um, in the University Extension who was doing quite a bit of writing, but he said, you ought to consider a, a career in farm broadcasting. 
And uh, um, that's where the bug bit. Um, I uh, got involved with National FFA. I was a newsroom intern at their national convention, which was held in Kansas City at the time, and uh, kept uh, repeating as, as an intern for a few years. That happened the same time as the NAFB convention was taking place in Kansas City. So our coordinator would let us come to the Farm Broadcasters Convention in the evenings, and I was exposed to the men's and women's voices from across the country. And the, the hook was, was set deep at that point in time. And uh, my first career in farm broadcasting came in 1993 when I went to go work for the Brownfield Ag News Network out of Jefferson City, Missouri. Um, I did uh, some market reporting as well as news coverage at the time for Indiana and Nebraska were the states that I was assigned. Um, I had a chance to get closer to home. We had a, had a new daughter and we we're finding ourselves making that trip back and forth several times, several weekends in a row and uh, went to uh, the station I'd really primarily grown up listening to, KMA in Shenandoah, Iowa, in the southwestern corner of Iowa. And then an opportunity came along to, uh, to go to uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, and be the farm director there. And the idea was that if you could get to a bigger market and a better title, and you happen to get a, a, a raise, if you could get two out of the three, you better do it. And in that case, I, I was able to get all three. And I spent the last 15 years of my broadcast career on the air at KFEQ radio in St. Joseph, Missouri, and then evolved into this position at NAFB back in August of 2011. So getting ready to, to celebrate a, a 12th anniversary here later this year. I think the year I met you, you won the Horizon Award for NAFB. So oh. uh, yeah, yeah. So it's been kind of fun to watch your career grow from there. Uh, that, so. that goes back to 1996. And yeah. you were probably as either a student or a scholarship recipient, I, I'm thinking. I was a student. I never got the scholarship. There's something about a GPA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Technicalities. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, so when you tell people that you are a farm broadcaster or you're the director of the, the National Association of Farm Broadcasting, um, what, what do people say or what kind of weird comments do you get? You know, I, I think most of these happen either in a, in an airplane or in an airport. You know, when, when you're sitting next to someone, you've got that extra time to talk and someone engages you in a conversation or vice versa. Um, farm broadcasting, it, it seems like the number one thing we'll get is, well, what is farm broadcasting? And so I'll make the comparison of, well, do you ever watch Fox Business or MSNBC? How you've got a business reporter and you've got news reporters. In the case of farm broadcasting, you've got those that are that are talking about agriculture issues, um, news and information. And, and so they, they make that connection usually pretty quick. Usually the follow up is, are those the guys or the gals that talk about pork bellies um, or that I hear talking about corn and soybeans? And so there, there is a lot of familiarity out there. I just don't think that the people that are involved in agriculture make that direct correlation whenever you first say farm broadcasting. Um, so it, it really opens up the door to be able to have a conversation about the importance of telling agriculture story. We have 180 farm broadcasters across the country um, with a signal in all 50 states. Um, a lot of that's because of uh, satellite radio and also because of of the um, television um, that, that helps us get into the areas that we may not necessarily have a farm broadcaster with boots on the ground, but that information is still getting shared in, 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 the, in every state of the country because of that. Um, you know, uh, the, the, there, there's, there's always that secondary conversation that turns into something about agriculture policy and uh, something that they've heard, you know, I've, I've heard this, 
Can you give me some more information there? So in a way, um, my, my role as an ambassador for agriculture as a farm broadcaster continues in my role at NAFB, being able to, to share agriculture story and, and, uh, and possibly even share some, some other points of reference then too. Awesome. Good. Yeah. It's funny how people latch onto the pork bellies. <laughs> Isn't that funny? And, and we haven't reported pork belly prices in oh, 18, 18, 19 years, I think, since there's a pork belly market. So, um, and, you know, I, I think about my early days, we talked about fat hogs. Uh-huh. And, and, and then, then, then we were like, you know what? Hogs aren't fat. And, and so they became lean hog contracts instead of fat hog contracts. Uh, it, it's funny how just a little tweak in a word, but you're right. Pork bellies is the, is the thing that seems to resonate with people. It, it does. It does. So, uh, you know, we, we look at really, we start with the invention, almost farm broadcasting goes back to the invention of the radio and it's still relevant today. So talk about why farm broadcasting is so important to American agriculture. You know, it's it's a connection to the community, I, I think, primarily, not just through the information that's being shared there, but but really the network of people. Um, our association does quite a bit of research. Every other year, we'll do a nationwide research study where we interview hundreds of farmers and ranchers that, uh, that have, uh, you know, a, a certain farm income and, and that have uh, the opportunity to, to listen or to watch a farm broadcaster. A few years ago, there was a perception that farm broadcasting might be becoming irrelevant. And so one of the questions that we were asked by some advertisers, as well as those at the advertising agencies was, well, are farmers really listening all year long? Or are they just listening in the spring and the fall whenever they're planting and they're harvesting the crops or whenever they're calving in the spring and the fall? We knew that was not the case just because of the interaction that farm broadcasters have with their audience. But we needed to be able to prove that. To make, to, to make certain for those advertisers that they knew it was consistent listening. And so we started asking that question and to no one's surprise, we found that, that over three fourths of farmers and ranchers are listening to the radio for agriculture information specifically five or more days per week. So it's not just a Monday through Friday um, event. Um, they, they've got a connection there that, that takes place on the weekend as well. Yes, it's strongest Monday through Friday because that's when the content is on the air. But there's also some Saturday programming and in some cases, even some Sunday programming. The other myth that we wanted to make sure that we could get past was young people aren't listening to the radio um, anymore. And um, Personally, I'll tell you, I was a little worried as to what that statistic would look like when we started doing some age breakouts. And so if, if I was to group generations um, as, as grandpa, dad, and son, my thought was, okay, grandpa's going to listen the most, son's going to listen um, a, a, a few minutes less, and grandson is going to be less minutes as well. What we found out was exactly the opposite. The younger the farmer the more they were listening because we're asking the number of minutes they listen per day. And as we drill down on that and we looked at other media usage, why that is is because the younger you are, the more of an information junkie you are. You want as much information you can get. So yeah, while you might pick up that phone and get the latest markets or, or weather or, or the, you know, the, the information that you want, you're listening to the radio because you have that, that connection with that farm broadcaster. There's something about the human voice hitting the ear and how it, it, it resonates across, uh, across your head, but it also hits us in the heart. 
and I, and I and 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 I don't think that's something to be overlooked because the relationship that farm broadcasters have with their audience is personal. Even after 15 years of being on the radio in the, in St. Joseph, the last place I was at, I still get people to this day that I had not met whenever I was a farm broadcaster that say, "I remember listening to you on KFEQ." Wow. And and I think what a relationship that I have, what a privilege it was to be able to sit down at the, at the, at the table with them in the morning through the radio and, and, uh, and share some information to be a part of their day, um, whether it was decision-making or if it was just uh, information or even entertainment. And, and I, th I think that's, that's hard to duplicate on so many levels. Um, farm broadcasters have, have, have had that consistency for the, for the history of farm broadcasting itself. And then whenever email newsletters came along, there's a lot of members that started doing that. When social media came along, now all of a sudden you're creating a, a new level of, of, of a personal connection with an audience that you never had before. They've heard you talk about your wife and your kids. They've heard you talk about that vacation. Now they're seeing pictures of it. And they've, they've created yet this, this extra um, connection with you as a, as a member of their family. And they may have never met you in person, but but uh, that, that connection continues to deepen, which I think is, again, very unique in this day and age. Absolutely. So um, how has the, and you know, you mentioned a lot of farm broadcasters have adopted email. Almost all of them are on, so if not all of them are on social media. How has the industry, in, in your experience, has it? how has it grown and evolved with technology, just in the broadcast technology, but also with the ag technology? I think agriculture itself is an early adopter of technology. Um, I, I, I think very similar to that adoption technology curve that you see of early adapters and then, and then when things come in mass, agriculture realizes that in order to be as efficient as it can be, that it needs to embrace technology and farm broadcasters have done the same. I carried a, a cassette recorder for a lot of years um, to do my recordings. I came across a picture just this week of me sitting at the U.S. Department of Agriculture with a laptop and a microphone pulled out of it. There weren't a lot of us that were doing that, but that was the predecessor to a digital recorder. Then we made the, the, the leap to, to a mini disc recorder um, that I don't know that a lot of people would know about, but in broadcast, that was, that was great technology. And now most everyone today is using some sort of digital recorder. Sometimes they're as small as, a, as an ink pen. So I, I, I think, uh, um, in order to, to make that connection, broadcasters have been good about adapting to, uh, to new technologies. One of the areas besides newsletters and social media and text messaging and um, you know, other ways that broadcasters connect, I hear a lot of broadcasters that say, if you like to hear the full interview, go onto our website and listen to this interview. Broadcasters have done podcasts for years, um, we, do, we just didn't know they were a podcast. I remember doing coverage from, from a, a meeting in Hong Kong back in 05 and you know doing three or four reports per day from Hong Kong, but knowing that there were 10 other interviews that I couldn't get on the air and we cross promoted you know, to hear our full coverage, go online to our website. Um, so while we didn't call them a podcast, that was the more in-depth that we had. So again, with that technology in place, um, I, th I think that uh, I, th I think sometimes we we probably fit information or we, we've we've given information, made available information to an audience that they may have not had complete access to. When you think about how slow 
Um, and it's, it's not rural America's fault, but I mean, my mom and dad had dial-up service. They went from dial-up to fiber. That was the transition that they made because that technology was available. So yeah, they may not have been able to listen to my extra interviews on online, but once, the, once that next um, step made, then it, it really connected in the world. On the flip side, there's others that were able to, uh, to listen to that extra information whenever we made it available in 2005 also. What do you think the future is or what's, what's the next thing for farm broadcasting? Where do you think the industry will go? You know, I, I think we will continue to see a lot of, of what has been done in the past, again, because of that relationship. Um, there are a lot of, of members that are continuing to expand what they do on the air from early morning till late in the afternoon, even late in the evening with, uh, with additional information in the form of podcasts. The thing I like about podcasts, when you think about developing a, a listening habit, that starts at an early age. And so when we, when we know about grandpa, son, and grandson, their listening habits, and, and, and how that younger generation is listening more, that started because grandpa had the pickup radio tuned in, or the, the, the tractor cab, or the combine, you know, the shop, whatever that was, that was ingrained in them younger. That being said, though, about podcasts, there's a convenience in, in saying, okay, I heard my broadcaster say at 1215 today to hear the full information or hear the full interview, go to our website and listen online or, or check out my podcast that's available. And that farmer can say, okay, markets have closed. I'm going to listen to that at three o'clock this afternoon. And, and they do. And, and maybe then the next day they, they develop this habit of the, oh, I'm going to check out that podcast that he did. And they make it a part of their routine. On the flip side, if they miss that, you know, if, if you miss the midday market update, you missed it. But now having it available online, they can say, I'm going to listen on my time mm -hmm. when it's convenient. So they can hear that market recap, still get that information connected with the voice instead of just reading it on a screen. You know, why did the market do what it did? Who are the players in the market today? I, I think that's an important piece. And then I love the fact that it's now searchable, archived information. For example, if, if uh, um, someone says, well, I heard Tom talking about this three or four weeks ago, Waters of the United States. What was it he said? Oh, yeah, I remember listening to his podcast. And so now it's a point of reference where before when it was on a signal, when it was out there, it was gone. Right. If you, if you didn't hear it real time. With having that archived audio, whether you want to call it a podcast or just uh, you know, the, the MP3 file that's available for, for download now becomes a point of reference where I don't know that if you've ever seen any research papers in the past that have a point of reference for, you know, this on the AM or the FM dial. Now you can say, OK, my point of reference is this this audio file that's, that's posted online. Yeah. Yeah. And the more more information is a good thing. So exactly. Yeah. So those are all the long questions that I have for you. So now I'm going to do a, an unscripted lightning round. So it's just a quick question with a quick answer. And I got this idea from Alan Alda. He has a podcast. <laughs> so um, is yes. this pass fail for me? Is that, yes. is that... <laughs> uh, no? So, all right. So my first question is, uh, who was that farm broadcaster that you were listening to at the kitchen table in your parents' house? 
There were two um, that, that immediately come to mind, Creighton Canal, um, and then Jim, we, we called him Jim Ross. He called himself Jim Ross on, on the radio. It was actually Jim Ross Lightfoot, who's now in Texas, the former U.S. congressman. Um, we, we found that his last name was Lightfoot because he quit using that radio name and uh, ran for Congress and won and served uh, several terms as a congressman in, uh, in Iowa. Wow. Okay. That's cool trivia. Yeah. <laughs> what is your pet peeve? I, I come to, to think about driving <laughs> to begin with, and, and I think it depends on the day. Um, most of the time, I'm the guy that, that, that sits in the right-hand lane with the cruise control set at 72 miles an hour and find that I'm flowing with traffic. But on those days that I, I kick it up a little bit, and the guy that's sitting in the left, in the left I, I should have said I'm in the right-hand lane at 72. It's the guy that sits in the left-hand lane at 68 mile an hour that I think, what are you doing, man? So <laughs> that's, that's one of the first ones that come to mind. So you have a little road rage and that's okay. I am, well, not, not, not consistently, but on those days that sometimes I'm in more of a hurry than apparently the guy in the left lane is. <laughs> I get you. Uh, lots of uh, ag conferences pass through Kansas City, and if they haven't yet, they're going to. Uh, what What's your recommended restaurant for us? Well, I just ate at a really good steakhouse this week, and it's called the Majestic Steakhouse. It's on Broadway in Kansas City. I I have not had a meal there that I haven't walked away and said, wow, and it was really good. On, on uh, the other front, I, I can't tell you that I've got any favorites. I love Minsky's Pizza, which is very unique to Kansas City. You can get a variety of, of, of flavors on pizza there. They've actually been recognized and scored by the Zagat score if you're into, into food critics. Um, Kansas City has great barbecue. I have not had Kansas City barbecue that I've said, uh-uh. In Kansas City, if it's not good barbecue, it's not going to survive. Um, you know, so, uh, so you can't go wrong with a barbecue. And then if you just want a, a different twist on on uh, on some things, there's a there's a, a German restaurant that's called Grunauer that I think is uh, is really good too. It's over in the in the uh, right just north of, uh, of Union Station, that freight house district. I will try that one. Um, what is uh, a good piece of advice that somebody gave you? Well, um, my, my, I've got a brother that's five years older, and I think he probably told me this whenever I was a young teenager and maybe before um, even I was a teenager. Um, he said, uh, he said, step out of your shoes and, and step into into their shoes and see it from their perspective. And um, that's that's something that's stuck with me for a lot of years. Another one is a poem that my mom shared when I was really little, and it's probably because I talked a lot. And it, it's a poem that goes like this. There was a wise owl who lived in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we all be like that bird? I think that's a good spot to end. <laughs> <laughs> good. And with that, let's all think about being like that bird and being a little bit better listeners. Thank you again to Tom Brand, the executive director of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. So You Talk to Cows is produced by me, Erica Erlbeck, with production support from the Department of Agricultural Education and Communications at Texas Tech University. Follow me on Instagram at Erica underscore Erlbeck. That's E-R-I-C-A underscore I-R-L-B-E-C-K. For more information on careers in agricultural communications, find my department at D-E-P-T-S dot ttu dot edu slash ag ed.